You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Are you a diehard comic book collector? Or maybe a lapsed fan? Maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life. Hi, I'm Remso Martinez. And I'm Mark Clare. Every single Wednesday at the Second Print Comics Podcast, Remzo and I take a deep dive into the storylines, character arcs, moments, and events that made us the fans we are today. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics Podcast at secondprintcomics.com. yourself you're on the run with remzo w martinez oh I, I just pressed the button because like if i don't press it now i'm gonna forget to press it later oh sure that we've got us got us all on screen yeah i'd like to be lex luthor except right now i'm more the card because i haven't cut it recently so i've got like the on the side and uh, you know picard can pull it off i cannot i i feel like so i'm now since i've been out of the military for almost a year now like i know that baldness is in my family so uh, it's like i want to keep the sides clean because i hate hair touching my ears but it's like you know i didn't realize i had curly hair because i became flat top since i was nine. Oh, uh, i mean uh, i had i had the five head starting in third grade and i didn't even have eyebrows past high school so i mean i'm just not a hairy breed unfortunately nothing Nothing worked out for me, right? You know? I'm, Oof. Yeah. I mean, I might be the only guy on earth to get the tattooed eyebrows, you know, because that's always a good one. Well, look. I mean, yeah. you could you could really intimidate people if you're playing poker, because right. then they'll never know what your expression is. <laughs> True. There's, always, there's a hustle in everything. I think I'll just start the show right there. How are you doing, Hody? <laughs> Great. How are you doing, I am. I am doing good. Uh, I want to apologize for the five-minute delay. I feel like nobody needs to know this information, but I might as well tell them. Uh, I, I have been cooking for myself more often since I moved out here to Wisconsin. And for the most part, I think I'm pretty decent. Uh, I've cooked a few meals for my fiance when when she was here a few weeks ago. I cooked some meals for my friends when they came here a month ago. But have you ever tried hot truffle sauce? No, and it's it's on the list. I'm not a mushroom guy, but I hear truffle is like a totally different experience. It's like a new thing now. Like a few years ago, there was like the sriracha phase. Mm Mm-hmm. In cooking, and like I, I always love sriracha before that. I like spicy okay. foods. My mom's Korean, my dad's Puerto Rican. Spicy food is our only food. But you know, my fiance got me this this thing a hot truffle sauce, and I've mm-hmm. been trying to find ways to cook with it because it's intimidating as hell. So I made like a spicy chicken pasta with a whole bunch of like Italian seasoning on there. But for the chicken, I put in what I thought was only like two teaspoonfuls of that hot truffle sauce. I'm like, okay, two teaspoons for a whole bunch of chicken thighs. I should be okay. I almost fucking died five minutes ago (laughs) because I, because I cooked about an hour ago. I I had everything together and I thought, you know, with the pasta and everything, it's going to distill the heat. It tasted phenomenal, but like I'm sitting on the toilet. And at one point I'm just like, (laughs) this is how I go. 
I think Zoom reaches the toilet. I, you know, you, your lips are still nice and red, so it's. it's I beautiful. can't like I, can I did. I did try and like I've been wiping my mouth constantly, but yeah. it's like you know I'm I'm sweating right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the pants situation, and uh, like I can feel it. Like when I gave you that five minute delay, I was like, you know, I usually never have to explain it, but like Hody, I was laying down. I oh, was yeah. like, oh god. <laughs> Like if I sit up, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. So like an MMA gonna... fighter where your trainer is just like, all right, hang on, give him five minutes. He'll be up in five minutes, guys. But he needs, <laughs> he needs some time here. Give him a second. I know it's only the first round and he's talking about the phone book, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I love that you're cooking now. I got, uh, I, what you see behind me is a uh, sourdough bread that I made here and uh, some guacamole that I like to smear on it. And uh, I had myself a sandwich uh, to, to just now. I uh, It sadly lacked the heat. I, I probably could have used uh, some trep sauce myself. Just, just throw like a, a dash of hot, pe- of hot chili peppers on there. Ugh. That sounds I, really I can't, good. I can't do bread. Like, no, I mean, I, I can do, I can do bread. Like I, I can't make bread by myself because I tried making like focaccia bread by myself and it just turned out to be disgusting. So anyone that can do bread, anyone that can bake, I feel like baking is one of those things where it's like, Oh, baking is not that hard. No, baking is way harder than cooking. I had to get a full on uh, apprenticeship from my brother's wife, Jesse, who is incredible at this um, because I am terrible at it. I actually tried to make the starter and that didn't work out. And then I tried to cook it anyway and I couldn't get it to rise. And so I actually, last time I visited Colorado, she was like, all right, step by step, let's do it together. And so now I'm okay, but it took, it took more than a couple of YouTube videos to, uh, to get there. Dude, I couldn't make scrambled eggs until I was 23. Mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed to say that. I, I suck with I, the eggs, man. I suck with eggs. I always scorch them. They stick to the bottom somehow. I I can't do it. Like I'm a big breakfast person. Like 90% of my meals I make for myself somehow have eggs involved. And like, I never had the problem of cracking an egg. Like most mm-hmm. people, I feel like I never have to worry about cracking an egg. I just like, I've just never had a problem with it, but cooking has been one of those things where it's like, I, I always enjoyed cooking. I just didn't always get the opportunity to, um, you know, especially at home where it's like, you know, everyone thinks I'm going to destroy the kitchen or something. So usually it was like lighter, quicker meals I could make myself. But I remember when, when I was at Liberty university and maybe this will tie in, in the, in a second, but like when I was at Liberty university, I lived in a, a four bedroom quad. So it was like two, no, I'm sorry. It was like three bed. It was three, four bedrooms. And then you had like a common area and a shared kitchen. And I was the only one that cooked. Um, you know, I, I would grill, I would cook. My go-to was like spaghetti or chili. It was always like one of those two things. And I would grill steaks every once in a while. And I remember, um, like my roommates got to the point where if they knew I was going to cook like on a Friday night or something, they would bring like, you know, steak or chicken or something. And I would just grill for us all. We'd enjoy a meal, but, uh, you know, it never really got beyond that. So now, you know, the one thing that my fiance and my future mother-in-law did, um, when I was moving out here, it was, they got me a bunch of cookbooks and I had them all dog-eared and bookmarked and I have not looked at any of them. So, um, <laughs> you know, I've just got to the point where it's like, you know, this looks good. I guess that measurement's okay. And then you get incidents like the truffle sauce where I, I t- sent a text to my fiance. I'm like, I think I'm going to die like Elvis. And she's like, <laughs> Oh God, are you on the toilet? And I'm like, yeah, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is happening right now. So yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it's just one of those things where I think I finally gotten to the point in my life where it's like, you know what, what doesn't kill me just makes me shit harder. 
<laughs> you know, cooking is great for the ego because it's one of those that has immediate gratification. You can write like a book and nobody will say anything. And that took hundreds of hours, thousands of hours of time, spent years on it. But yeah, you cook somebody, you know, uh, spaghetti and meatballs and they're like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. And you're like, how, how do I get more <laughs> gratification out of this than, than writing a book? You got to be kidding me. Uh, I, you, you hit it right on the head with my two books. That's, that's exactly what it's like. Uh, I, I had this, uh, well, no, my, my, my fiance, when she was just my girlfriend years ago in college, she lived in a townhouse with this one other woman. And, uh, she was like, as, as some would say, um, kind of a bitch. And she was, she just had this attitude and she thought she was like this world, like this world-class chef, because she took, uh, like a, a Spanish immersion summer where she went with a bunch of people from my school and she spent like uh, the summer in Guatemala. And as part of her stay in Guatemala, she got to work at a local restaurant. So she thought she was amazing. But the problem is though, is that she sucked and she didn't know it. But you know, when, when I would come over, we had this thing called fajita Fridays that my girlfriend and I would do. We wanted to, you know, be nice with her. So we would invite her for that because, you know, she's not likable and, uh, we wanted to just be nice. So I, I go ahead and cook and she, she would just like, like a hawk, just like constantly criticize everything I did. And then she would eat my cooking and then she'd be like, Oh God. And I always knew what that, Oh God was because she always liked it. And I made everything. I made Korean food. That was my go-to sometimes. Like I would make, like I call it white man lo mein, where it's just like regular lo mein, just with like spaghetti noodles and stuff. And That's, she'd be like, oh, I don't like foreign food and stuff like this. I'm like, you worked at El Salvadorian Kitchen. What the fuck do you mean you don't like foreign food? So she would be like, well, I'll try a bite. And then she she takes a bite and she's like, oh God. And then she goes for a bowl. And eventually it got to the point where it's like, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta see what's, what works. As long as it tastes good, no one cares how you made it. There's life beyond chicken nuggets. Are you telling me though, <laughs> now, now hold on to preface the story here. You're telling me there's people that haven't read how to succeed in politics and other forms of devil worship. I they're, find that they're gonna, to they're gonna die very hollow lives. I mean, they're gonna, yeah. yeah I mean, like it's their, their lives uh, are worse off because of that. Uninformed, sad, drab, uh, lives. Yeah. I, I, whoever you're getting your information from, uh, if you're sticking with Hayek and Rothbard, it's time to move over to Remzo Martinez guys. That's, this is the next phase. Congratulations. You've started the monopoly board, but it's time to pass go and go around for another round. And that, that, yeah, you gotta, you gotta start with Remzo on that one. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, you know, I call it the plan B phase of life where it's like, when you're taught, when you're listening to me, it's because plan A didn't work out. So we should probably (laughs) get to plan B, Um, you know, or as, or as uh, teenagers running into Walgreens would say my only hope, but um, (laughs) (laughs) you're, you're at the point where Ron Paul has stopped responding to your tweets. So you need to find a libertarian who will. And that's where I came across, you know, Remzo, you know, everything got to work. Cody, I'm not going to lie. I have to use the restroom i'll be back in one minute oh no have some fun you want me to riff am i riffing okay um (laughs) so remzo poor dude is uh is uh i i like him funniest guy of course if you listen to the show you you probably are aware of that already 
he may even cut out everything that I'm going to say here. So this will be fun. I'm, I'm actually excited to, to see this recording to see if uh, he has he lists what I had to say or not. Remzo and I did an earlier episode. Uh, you may recognize me. We uh, both attended Liberty University at various times because he's a young pup. I'm much older than him, but uh, had some had some great experiences there. Offered some advice for people graduating college. And now I think we were going to get into um, we we're going to get into kind of faith, um, which has informed both of our politics, and of course, you know, a little a little political sidebar as well. Politics is not fun, and it's one of those when it's like it's like whistling while you work. You have to make it fun, otherwise you're just not going to talk about it or do it. Because I don't think anybody's looking at like. Afghanistan and thinking like, oh, that looks like, oh, I can't wait to talk about it. Like if you find yourself excited to talk about abortion or the war in the Middle East, uh, you are a very strange individual. These are not fun subjects to talk about. They're important subjects to talk about. They're good subjects to talk about, but man, like just heavy stuff. And so that's why I think Remzo is the best in the biz because it's like, look, we have to talk about this, right? You have to eat your vegetables, but let's put some cheese on that broccoli, right? Let's, 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 let's do a little butter and fry up some of those uh, onions there, you know, get, get a good saute going. Because if you have to hammer down some vegetables, you might as well as make it as fun as it can possibly be, even if it is not fun. And people might say, well, you have to have a certain deference about this. Uh, you shouldn't be being quite so jovial about these heavy things. The thing is, if you're not jovial and you're not happy, these things, you will not be long. You will not talk about these things for very long. It'll be a constant chore. And the thing about politics is it's an optional chore. You can just skip it. And so if you ignore the chore oh my God. and you skip it, oh, we got Remzo back. Thank goodness. Boy, that was a tough I, I hope I hope you were talking the entire time, were you? The entire time. Okay, because I'm not cutting any of that out. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, well, God. everybody will know my secret crush on you now. Um, uh, as if they didn't already. Like, I swear, <laughs> to, I swear to God, like, I'm going to send you a photo of the hot... Uh, you, you got scared when I said that. I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you. I'm like, no, no, I'm no, gonna, no. I'm gonna send you a photo of that hot truffle sauce to avoid it. That should never be consumed by man. Like Jesus Christ. Like people, I'm not even sitting down. I'm literally on my knees as uh, as I'm doing this because I, you know, I, I love my listeners so much. But let, let's let's not talk about what just happened. I'm just glad this microphone is so good. It only captures one direction. <laughs> You're one cough away from needing a new couch. Is what yeah. It's 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 bad. Like if I wince, I'm going to have to go ahead and get bleach and Windex. But, um, <laughs> anyway, so, so that I can, you're I trying to figure cook. out how to segue. There's no segue with this. We're it's uh, toilet. It's toilet talk. This is uh, it. This is the podcast. This is I'm, what we're doing. This is this, this was the struggle. Uh, you went to Liberty residentially or online? Online. Okay. At what point did you become a Mormon? Uh, I was at people Liberty are listening University. to this. They're like, what the fuck is he talking about? I'm like, yeah. it'll all make sense in a minute. Yeah. It, I was at Liberty University and I was studying a class about restoration and uh, things to look for. Cause you have the restored churches and non-restored churches nowadays. And they're like, Oh, what are some signs? What do you look for in the restored church? What are some promises that the Bible gives about what a restored church is like? I believe this was my um, Liberty was really cool. 
we've talked about this before on the podcast. I, it's hard for me to say like whether I was a junior or a senior because I only went there for two years because they accepted so many of my ACT, SAT scores. That's credit, how it was for me because AP I had test. my associate's yep. degree when I went there. Awesome. Yeah. So you understand like it's a, uh, it, and so I guess it was probably in between like what I would call my junior and senior year. I did attend through summers and I think it might've been the summer in between there. So that's why I can't figure out exactly which, but um, yeah, I, I, uh, I was looking at this and I was like, man, what you're saying about the restoration sounds an awful lot like Mormonism. Like, I mean, we're talking quorums of 70, like the apostle structure, the need to have 12 apostles, the Melchizedek priesthood. Like there was just so many things in the New Testament when it's like, hey, here's what the restored church is going to have. Man, I must have been like Googling my way through that class. <laughs> this uh, this was um, I mean, I don't believe it was a. I believe it was an optional class and uh Boy, I'm trying to even, it might've even just been like part of another class that was talking about like restored churches in general, but we were talking mm -hmm. specifically about the restoration. And I think that that's what really did it to me. The professor wasn't even Mormon. It was accidentally, I was accidentally converted because the more I like kept hearing it, the more I was like, dude, the Mormons are doing all this stuff right now. It like, sounds like it was already in your head. It was. I mean, I, so um <clears throat> Spoiler alert, I'm not a cool guy. Uh, I was not having sex, doing drugs, drinking, smoking. I still have pretty much never done any of that stuff because I'm, uh, I'd say loser, but I really love being a loser. Like I love what I am, but I was, because you're dedicated to it. And when you go, when you go through high school, even if you're not Mormon, if you're not doing that stuff, you're going to hang with Mormons because everybody else is going to be like, you're a, you're a geek, you know? Like, so I hung out with the Mormons um, because of that. I had a lot of Mormon friends. They talked to me. I talked with them. I had serious reservations about the church, but it was that professor. It was really like, he was like, Hey, here's what you got to look for. And I was like, Oh, dang. Like that's maybe some, maybe my friends were right about some of this stuff because I just, my complaints with Mormonism were always that I didn't like what they were doing. And I kind of still didn't, even when I converted. You didn't want but, to wear the uniform? Uh, no, I didn't <laughs> like that. <laughs> I didn't like some of their policies in the past. I didn't like the way uh, the some of the some of the structures were. I didn't like some of the things the apostles had said. Some of the things that the prophets had said. You wanted to drink coffee. Um, no, I'm not a coffee drinker. So that's another, that's another thing where it's like, how are you not Mormon already? Yeah, I did, did, do not enjoy the coffee. Although I had tried it before. Unlike alcohol, which like I've never had a drop coffee I have tried. And I was like, Ooh, that's not for me. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was really it. I, I overcame, I guess my own skepticism, uh, because I was like, Hey, if this is the challenge that God gives in the Bible, then that's the, that's the standard that I should use, not this personal feelings that I have about the church. And so that's kind of what led me down um, that path. Yeah, and I, I bring this up because, um, you know, you, you host a show now on the We Are Libertarians Network called Enemy and My Enemy. I, I like tuning into it, especially after I finished the day at work, because it's really like one of those shows where it's like, it's on a super serious topic, but the conversations are just genuinely like really entertaining and informative. And I, I've really enjoyed listening and I, I, I watch the video version. So I subscribe. So I'm sorry if I'm not getting you the podcast download, but I'm watching on YouTube. Oh, but, um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like um, you, you, you cover 
a bunch of different topics and you bring on guests who look at things from a different angle. Usually they're within like the libertarian family tree, but you know, we all have our little code words for how we want to like self-separate and stuff. And I, I find it really entertaining. And, um, you know, I, I knew you were Mormon from when you were on the show like a year ago. And I think it's crazy right now because we're closer to episode 200 of on the run than we are episode one. And it just shows how, how, how like time just flies. But when you and I, uh, hung out in Indiana about a month ago, um, I, I came over to you and like, I'm pretty sure one of the first things I said was like, Cody, I'm ready. And you're like, so what are you ready for? And I'm like, I'm ready to meet the aliens. And you know, you, 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 I know you were trying to think of something smart to say back. And I'm like, I, I know you've got the Mormon hookup. And then you pissed me off like no other. And you said, well, I'm not Mormon anymore. And two things came to my head. I'm like, shit, another, another obstacle in my way. And then the second one was, wait, how does that happen? <laughs> Usually you don't hear the other way going in that situation. And uh, I, I know you did an episode on, on Mormonism for, for your show. I'll, I'll go ahead and link to it, but let, let, let's just, let's just talk there. Um, you know, you, you end up getting in while, while you're in college. Was that around the time that you had converted? Yeah, it was, it was very quick. Um, I, I, decided it was right. I had maybe a couple of talks with some missionaries. It was nothing new. I'd talked to the missionaries before, so I already knew them. Um, I was probably baptized within a month of converting. So it was, it was, it was a quick process, man. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just trying to think like, what was, what was it like when, when you were at the point where it's like, wow, I am a Mormon now, what's that like? That's, you know, that's tough. It's one of those that kind of, you allow the rumor mill to do its work because you don't exactly want to shout it from the rooftops because there are people that are disappointed or angry or hurt. Um, converting to Mormonism is not a similar experience like converting to Catholicism or being a Methodist. I'm sure had I done any of those things, my friends and family would have been like, oh, okay, uh, all right, why? You know, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. care. That's interesting. And it's funny because the parallels between Catholicism and Mormonism are, are because they're both restored churches are so completely stark. I mean, they, they are just parallels on parallels, but the one is just considered far worse for various reasons. Uh, there are, I guess, legitimate reasons to dislike uh, the LDS church, which obviously I had, which is why I decided to leave eventually. Um, but I would I would say the it is difficult to single out anything that Mormons do that any other church doesn't do that would make you mad. A um, lot of generalities that you have to draw, and so it was a it was tough. I mean, like I said, I let the rumor mill do its work. I let kind of a lot of the scary family members find out from somebody else because I'm a coward and I don't like fighting. And I, I decide I don't prefer confrontation is what my psychologist says that I'm supposed to say. Uh, but, <laughs> in, but the truth is I'm a wuss. I'm a wuss, right? I don't like fighting about it, but I still, you know, so I, I did what I did and I let them find out how they found out. And I would explain myself after that point, but, you know, hopefully without the news being so stinging, I think if I came out all at once and was like, I'm Mormon, everyone, um, things probably would have ended really ugly and things have, I mean, I was Mormon and my relationship with my family had repaired even well before I left the LDS church, but you know, it, it, there's some healing there that has to occur and some time that people need to take the deal with that. 
I, I can assume there there was a lot of in between from when you converted to when you finally left. What what you know? How long did that process take, and what were some of the factors for that? Boy, um, because I'm always interested, and I think for a lot of people that I've spoken to about a bunch of different topics, it's always interesting to hear why somebody gets into something, whether it's philosophy, religion, or like a real sub subculture uh, when it comes to their hobbies. But you know, when it comes to leaving something, especially when it's not like you were born into it, but you chose to go into something, and then you have just such a big withdrawal from it, I, I, I always find that really fascinating because I almost think that's harder than getting involved in the first place. Yeah. I mean, it's different. Like being involved, like if you stop playing World of Warcraft, you probably just got bored with it. Right. But that's yeah. way different than not being Mormon anymore. That takes like an active decision. So it's not something like, oh, I liked cooking for a while and then I stopped. This is one of those that's like you could you have to stopping entails more than just not doing something anymore. You know, there's a lot of actions and beliefs and things like that that take and mine spent over um i was with the lds church for over 15 years holy uh, shit that's like a whole person yeah that's <laughs> that thing's <laughs> almost driving right yeah it's uh in some in some countries i can give it a cigarette but yeah it's it, it, it's one in of europe those, it's drinking by now yeah <laughs> you know i do love the community structure i think was really I, I loved, you know, they have the home teaching where you go and visit fellow members and make sure they're doing all right. That was always really rewarding with me. Um, I love being intellectually challenged. And there's a lot of discussions that go on in the LDS church that are, it's funny because people say they're very cult-like. Um, usually to be in a cult, you have to be like charismatic. Whereas this is like three hour church sessions that never end led by somebody in their eighties. Who's kind of droning on. It is not a charismatic experience. It's not something it's, it's, it's not a cult like experience. There's some cult like things, I guess that you'd say like the community that builds you up and then kind of wants to keep you in. But I mean, in truth is when I left, there really wasn't anything. Like I think I, if you just I think if you justify anything enough, a lot of things could be described as cult like. Sure. Sure. And I like mean, I, I say I say cult, and when I say cult, like people get offended. But all I mean is like, you know, something that's starkly different than than what I think is the the canonical sense of what you're talking about. Like, you know, like I would you know, I don't, I don't mean this derot, you know, in, sure. in like an old school way, but like I I think that Mormons are a cult. I think the Amish are a cult. And the Amish are my favorite cult because like you can get so much cheap stuff from them. <laughs> and, you know, Mormons, Mormons are nice too. So it's like, you know, do your own thing, man. Like we, 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 we all got to figure that out. But it's like when, when you look at the stark differences, you know, I, I had a lot of friends, all my Mormon friends, ironically, I met in the army. Like there's a there's a lot of Mormon soldiers that I, I met who were who were great. Some of them were great officers. And what I always noticed about them was that they were always willing to have what I call the uncomfortable conversations about religion and stuff. Because like when we were training to be officers, you have to have a lot of like philosophical, like ethical um, discussions and challenges and stuff. And I always thought the Mormons were always usually like at the front of that and they could spot each other. Like they always knew who the others were and they had community everywhere. And I'm just like, these guys have the hookup. They know, they know where everyone is and where everything is. And if they need something, they can, they can find another Mormon to take care of them. And where the aliens are. And where the alien, well, none of the fuckers ever told me. I mean, I, I, I didn't even believe in the aliens until recently. So that's my fault for, for not being red pilled enough on that. But it's like, you know, with, with, with that, um, you know, like I, I would, 
my 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 concerns about Mormonism and like they tried to they tried to get me in like 2013. So when I was at basic training, I didn't want to clean toilets on Sundays. So if you went to service um, for any of the services, you could do that. And they invited me to the Mormon services because as I found out, they had food. So I was just like, I'll go there. And then when I realized what it was really going on, I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to like the non-denominational Baptists, you know, secret Baptist uh, service where we're singing and, you know, it's uh it's a bit softer theology and I'll, I'll, you know, thank you for the donuts, but I'll be good. I mean, my, my thing with, with Mormonism was always, I, I don't understand why, why there's this need to classify or not classify as Christian. I find it funny that people still have that discussion about it. And for me, it was always like, I, I don't believe that Mormons are Christian because regardless of, you know, what denomination of Christianity you usually fall into, it usually falls on a couple of things. And for me, it comes to, and for a lot of listeners who are thinking, this guy was talking about shitting himself like five minutes ago, and now he's talking about this. Like, my, my thing was always like, you know, for, for me, it always comes down to like two things. One, the Apostles' Creed, and two, like, you know, I, I believe in the Trinitarian God. And like, that's the one thing that me and like 99% of Christians across all denominations can pretty much get on. Who that kind of kicks out is that kicks out like the Seventh-day Adventists, that kicks out um, the, uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witness. And it's like, you know, they can, they, they can share a majority of beliefs with me, but like when it comes to like, who is God and what is God? Like that's, that's a really, that's, that's where I think that's where the boundaries kind of split. And I don't think, you know, b- believing simply in Jesus is good enough because then it's like, well, you know, my Muslim friend could say he's, he's a Christian, but that's really loose at that point. So, I mean, I think with, when it comes to Mormons, like I get it, nobody wants to be called a cult and I would never go to my Mormon friends or anyone like that or the Amish I'm, I'm buying a puppy from or uh, something like that. And I would never say, oh, you're a cult or something like that, because I think it's rude. It's just not necessary. But for the most part, like I've always been like really, r- really kind of captivated by the are they Christian? Are they not argument? Because for me, it's like, well, you know, if you have a little bit of belief in your own side of the aisle on that, you're going to understand that it's just it's just not the same. There's, I I would say they are Christians. My, it's hard because I think faith is an individual basis. You're judged individually. We find out that there's somebody who considered himself Christian in the Bible who sold most of his possessions, but not all of them, claimed he sold all of his possessions and God struck him dead and he went to hell. Whereas then there's a murderer on the cross who's like, hey, remember me, you know, when you get to your your promised land. And he's like, Oh no, you're going to heaven. And it's like, boy, there's, there's a, there's a tough divide then to say like, why was this person considered a Christian or not considered a Christian? These are mostly just labels for our own personal benefit. Uh, mm-hmm. just as, you know, for based on our own opinions, there's certain things in the apostles creed. So I I'm down with the apostles creed. I'm really big on the idea that Jesus went to hell and witnessed to the people in hell to attempt to save their souls. And that's part of the apostles creed that, that a lot of people who are in religions that claim to believe in the Apostles' Creed kind of don't grapple with very well. Um, and that's something that I, I think, I, li- I like the idea of redemption progress after this life. Um, there are certain things 
that I've retained that I kind of learned while I was Mormon that I still find to be true in a Christian sense that I've held on to. There are certain things that I've let go of as well. Um, Would you say it's more or less that you left the faith or you left the church? I, or are they mutually exclusive? No, I mean, I, I let, I, I certainly left the church. I certainly did not leave the faith. Like I am, there are certain parts of the Mormon faith that I would reject, uh, categorically. Um, I, I don't like, I, I no longer, I no longer believe that the, um, prophets are divinely inspired. Um, so we're talking yeah. like Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, those guys. Right. Correct. Um, and I feel like, I feel like it, it, here's the, here's the tough part about this though. Cause it's not that I don't like what they're doing anymore. And so they're gone because you look in the Bible and look at some of the prophets there and they are people that make Joe Smith, Brigham Young and all our current guys look like saints. I mean, God is fully aware that there's occasionally a prophet who totally sucks, right? This is, this is just part of having a church. So it's one of those that it, as opposed to, you know, leaving in this big climactic, like, this is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. It's just kind of faded away on me. Um, A lot of what I found to be true was something that I would push the church on. So to touch with the politics here, and I'm sure you, you can understand as a libertarian, some of the issues that I'm going to have with the church, the drug war issues, LGBTQ embracement, you know, uh, immigration issues, even, there are things that the church does and invests in and believes that counteract what I feel in my soul to be correct. And one of the things that when I read the scriptures, God does not like giving laws because there's always an exception to some kind of law. Even the 10 commandments, God's like, I don't want to give you this. You need to be working on your conscience. You need to be working on what is moral and laws are never going to be a good replacement for your morality. And so when I when I reject some of these things that the church is doing, I accept that they could change back. The church has fallen in, apart before in the Bible, and it was still the church. It just lost its way. And I feel like if the church is indeed still the church, if the LDS church is actually the right thing to do, then it's going to need to fix itself up, just like what happened in the Bible. It falls apart. It starts doing bad things. People are like, hey, you need to fix it up. The issue is, is I would try to fix it. I would be a vocal proponent of legalizing pot and more and and saying, hey, gender and sexual minorities are our friends and allies and we should respect them and their identities and we should love them and we should bring them in and treat their families this way because look at this suicide rate that we've got on, got on because of the way we treat this issue and that needs to stop. The LDS church, and this is actually somewhat more recent, but within the last couple of years has just started excommunicating these people with these voices like that. Like just, nope, don't want to hear it. There's not a discussion here. Whereas before you were kind of allowed and permitted to disagree and they would say, Hey, you know, yes, I understand that you think maybe women should hold the priesthood if they want to, we disagree, but you're allowed to your opinion. Now people that are too vocal about that, they're gone. And I, I am just a person that I, I am, I would rather not rely on my own understanding, which says be safe, be quiet, be non-objectionable. You know, this church is your community, be cool. And I would rather say that's my own understanding. That's what I am pulled towards. What I would prefer to do is lean on God's wisdom, which God is love. God is patient. 
kindness. God has so many, he's almost never described in a noun. He's described with adjectives. And all of these adjectives are something that I, I embrace when I think of God. And when we treat certain people certain ways, or we say, no, I'm sorry, you can't treat your epilepsy with marijuana because I don't feel like it or, you know, because weed is bad because drugs are bad. And so you have to suffer through this disease. This has impacted my family directly. I have somebody who's on opioids and the drug war is just awful. Um, the, for the prescription drugs, it's terrible and something that needs to be completely deregulated. And there are Mormons that would rather see this person that I love, this family member suffer than legalize these drugs. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, but God is not in the type of punishing innocent people. There are times he frequently chooses to not punish guilty people. Like you all have completely left what makes God, God, and you've separated from him and you left me more than I even left you. There are certain, I can get into little bits of things that I don't like what Joseph Smith has said and done and Brigham Young, but it's, I was willing to see past all of that. What I'm not willing to see past is a church. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ. That means you're preaching wisdom. You are spreading love. You're spreading healing. Think of what the body of Christ did in this world. And then you look at what has become. If you cease to spread healing and wisdom and love and kindness and respect and non-judgmental, you know, cultures, then you've, you're not the body of Christ anymore. And that's not what I signed up for. I signed up for a community that was the body of Christ. And, and that is my standard. And when they, when they've stopped performing the, in the ways that they should, and they stop doing these great things, because I love the community service they did. When people think of nice people, Mormons are like really high on the list of nice people, but unfortunately they're also really high on the list of judgmental people. And that has created a lot of problems and I can't give money and be a part of an organization like that. I would rather give my money to people on an individual basis that I know and I trust and I love. I I, I really understand where you're coming from with that because like I, um, I haven't been to to church in a couple of months now, primarily because I've been church hopping here, but, um, you know, like I, I was part of the United Methodist church for mm-hmm. a while, uh, really kind of like when I left home, I joined the army and like, you want, you want to talk about like a public clusterfuck. What, what has <laughs> gone on with the United Methodist church has just been really crazy. And, uh, you know, I still went, I still went to, um, United Methodist church services while I was at Liberty, uh, you know, I split between that and a Baptist church because my girlfriend at the time, Baptists and United Methodists are, are really more similar than people give credit for, even though Methodists are more high church than, than, uh, than Baptist evangelicals. But like my, my biggest thing was like, um, I I've been, I've been going through this phase and ironically, like it, it really started when my TV show, the witching hour kind of started going public because I got, I really didn't get any criticism from people who like didn't believe in ghosts and that type of stuff. I got, I got criticism from people ironically that I went to Liberty with who were like, you're commuting with demons. and What the hell are you doing? This is non-scriptural. And I'm like, man, something weird is happening. And like two, three years later, now I'm talking about aliens and shit. So like, you know, world, world's crazy, but like with, with the United Methodist church, like my thing always got to the point where it's like, you know, I know they're like, conservatives in my church. There are liberals in my church. They're politically apathetic. Like, you know, we're we're all here because at the end of the day, like some things are just like basic truth. And and my issue with 
the United Methodist Church and, and with many other um, churches, like, you know, I, I could never be part of the Episcopal Church. I could never be part of like the Evangelical Lutheran Church because my biggest thing was like when it came to basic stuff um, that we all were just like, this is a non-argument factor when it's like when when you take a stance that is against what we have believed for thousands of years on this type of stuff, that's when it's like I, I have nothing to do with you. And it's and it really kind of sucks too because like I love the I love the United Methodist Church. Um, you know, I I I I feel like it's just gone in a direction that I really don't identify anymore. And you know, one of the things I, I say as a joke when people are like, well, what was one of the stuff that bothered you? I'm like, well, it was when uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, one of the local Episcopalian churches and one of the um, and Methodists, while it's part of like the continuing Methodist movement, it's really more like, you know, an offshot of Anglicanism. Um, so like I've always identified with more like that, you know, Orthodox Catholic type order than with American evangelicals. But like, you know, when one of those churches was like, God loves you and God is a woman, I'm like, where the hell did that come from? It's, it's, it's our father. It's he, it's like that. That's not one of those things. And it's like, it had less to do with, oh, well, we have a theological argument for why we think God is a woman, despite the fact that it's in no scripture anywhere. And it was more the fact that, well, you know, we, we want God to be more opening, more open to people. And it's like, you want to change who God is to make, to, to make you guys seem more open. That's a freaking problem. And then it came down to a few other things where it was like, you know, and I get into this argument of like my, my fiance's family sometimes, because like, for me, the, the Holy Eucharist, the Lord's supper is like one of those other big things for me, but I understand that's such a debatable thing. It's like, I'm never going to die on that hill for somebody. Really. Right. It's like, you either believe it or you don't, if I, I can't convince you of that, really, you've got to figure that out yourself. But you know, with, with, with that, it's like in, in the United Methodist Church, there were people saying, well, you know, I don't think the Bible is God inspired. I don't think some of these things really happened. And maybe it's metaphor. And it's like, no, like if it's here, then it's real. And it happened because if we see this as a book of history and collective knowledge, and Jesus himself references this as history and as common knowledge, and Jesus is God, then that's one of those things where it's like that that's not a debatable thing. And it just slowly kept going further and further. And I mean, I'm not even getting into like the LGBTQ stuff with, um, you know, women as ministers, because, you know, really the person who played one of the most instrumental roles in my, you know, reawakening my rebirth in Christianity was a female, uh, you know, I met this minister and I love that woman, uh, more than I can, you know, define because she's done so much for my life. So it's not one of those things where I'm like, okay, well you did so much for me and now I reject you. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, you know, now I'm starting to see the, the slippery slope argument that we say, you know, all those angry people keep talking about, because now it's gotten to the point where it's a church where they just redefine things based off what they think is going to bring them people now. And, and when you marry yourself to the current age, you divorce yourself from so many other things. And, and that's one of those areas where it's like, you know, I think, I, I think as a whole, like, I'm not talking Christianity, but I'm saying like American evangelicalism. It's one of those areas where I definitely see that in decline. And for a lot more mainline Christians going to more Orthodox churches, because while a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't like the structure. I don't like the pop and circumstance. I think I've gotten to the point where it's like, you know, now I think I understand it because it's how we've communicated 
these messages and these stories and these meanings for so many years. And there's a reason why. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, what was some of the Mormon theology that you kept with you? Um, I do believe that the Trinity is three separate parts. Um, I don't, I don't, there's even parts where uh, Jesus, when he's talked about the resurrection uh, and the, can we talk about the, I'm sorry. Can we talk about the planets, the rapture? Oh gosh. I mean, we can, but that's not something that I'm, as far as like being able to physically visit God, that's that's one of those that got left behind. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you were hoping for me to to like defend that part, but yeah. But, um, but yeah, like I, I I don't see. There's a part where Jesus even says like the thought fa- like like the like the Father knows when the end's coming, but I don't right now. And I'm just like, okay, well that that indicates something. Um, and I do I do see them. I don't think it's like a big deal. Like if I if I die and I get resurrected and I'm sitting and they're waiting for judgment and they all happen to be one person. I'm not going to be like, oh no, I hinged my entire faith on that. <laughs> but you know, like, like, oh no, yeah, like, I'm, I'm in so much trouble. I didn't believe everything exactly right, you know, but it is one of those that I do find that things make more sense with those being separate entities. I mentioned earlier that I do believe in uh, progress after death. I don't believe in like, I, I think they're very big on like levels of heaven. Um, like, would you which, describe it as like purgatory? Well, um, I, I don't know that I believe in purgatory, uh, but I do believe that there is a like kind of, I guess it would be closest to there's a paradise in prison before the final judgment, right? According to the scriptures, right? And so I guess spiritual prison is kind of the equivalent of like the purgatory. You're not, in the, but paradise kind of is too, right? You're still not judged yet. You're still just hanging out. It's a matter of whether you get to hang out cleaning toilets are ready to get to hang out at the donut buffet is so to speak, you know, <laughs> everyone <laughs> thinks they're going to be like the communal artist. Right. Right. A lot of basket weavers in heaven, you know, it's uh, not enough, not enough uh, structural engineers, but the, I'm sure that's something that'll have to get balanced out in future generations. But I do believe that there's like in the concept of eternal life, that, that things go on forever, that there's not just a, an end to this universe. I do think that there's more that keeps going even after the descriptions that we have in the Bible. Um, I would say that's that's probably the closest parts of it. I do think there is a close relationship between faith and works. I do believe that you are completely 100% judged on faith and heart, as this as the scriptures say. But if your heart is good, like also the scriptures say, uh, then the fruit is going to be good, right? If you plant yeah, because seeds, you don't have to going. count the acts; you just do it because it's natural. Correct. Yes, the mm-hmm. acts will follow, and so I, I do think the Mormons place like a heavy emphasis on doing what's right and being judged that way. I don't believe that, but I do believe that people you will have good works if your heart's in the right place. I don't, I don't think that like Osama bin Laden's heart was in the right place, you know, like even though he just happened to like mess up all the time, you know? And, and I think there's, there's some element of like mainstream Christianity where it's like, it's okay. Like do whatever the heck you feel like. And who cares about God's wisdom? As long as you like say, you believe it's what's that, what's that Shakespearean play about the guy who talks to a skull to be or not to be. Oh, uh, Hamlet. Yeah. I, well, I never freaking understood about Hamlet was the fact that Hamlet always had to make sure that he got, he caught the King in like an act of sin and he killed him before he could pray because like that, that part where it's like, Oh no, I need to make sure that he doesn't pray right after he committed that sin. Because then when I kill him, he'll go to heaven. I want to send him to hell. I remember reading that and like, 
11th grade. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> that yeah, doesn't he has a, make sense at all. He has a chance to assassinate his uncle. He's murdered his father and everything and passes up because he's like, oh, he's in the middle of prayer. Well, now he's fully saved. And I really need him to go to hell right now. That was uh, one of those things where I'm like, I don't know if I don't understand this or if that's like bad theology right there. Hamlet is by far the most interesting of Shakespeare's plays. I love Shakespeare's tragedies. I find him, uh, dime, dime, I find that Shakespeare is the greatest uh, author of all time. And that that's when I would, I would, I would gladly die on that hill. I find his comedies a little too, haha, I'm gay. That's funny. But um, <laughs> I, I do think the, I do think the tragedies are just absolutely epic and not all the tragedies, like he even defied what, because everything was either a comedy or a tragedy. He doesn't mm-hmm. have a few like the Merchant of Venice where you're like, it was serious, but it's not like everybody died in the end. Everybody thinks, everybody looks at the end of Macbeth and they're like, this is every Shakespeare play. Hamlet is a fascinating one because that is the only one of Shakespeare's tragedies that we don't know the moral of. Almost yeah. all of them, we know the we know the ethic that he's trying to teach. People go right from the beginning and they're like, was Hamlet doing the right thing, the wrong thing? Is the ghost he interacted with the devil or was it actually his dead father what was happening and that, and so that's a fascinating one unfortunately went to the grave with shakespeare and so you know critics analyze the heck out of hamlet more than any other play just because they we don't know and everybody wants to have an opinion on what we don't know about <laughs> yeah and well I, I always liked about him and i think this often goes misunderstood it's like he he understood irony more than anything oh, else nice. yep and like he's one of the few early, you know, playwrights and authors who like really had a grasp for that. Mm-hmm. And it came natural. It wasn't one of those things where it's like you have that ironic deadpan comedy where it's like people try and do that. And it, it's so on the nose. It, it's not funny, but it's too heavy handed, ham fisted. Yeah. 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 And, and that's one of those things where. Um, you know, like I, I've been reading, I've been reading and rereading a lot of like the Arthurian legends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's funny how they, they loop in like, you know, saints and other biblical accounts into the, the canon of the stories like Sir, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The movie just came out. Love the movie of uh, Dev Patel doesn't get an Oscar. I think we should burn down Hollywood if they don't do that themselves <laughs> already. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it, it's just so ingrained and it's under understood. And that's why, you know, it's, it's like, uh, as I've, as I've drifted more towards, you know, more towards like a liturgical higher church type of mindset when it comes to things, it's like, I look back at this and, you know, it's like, this was understood knowledge amongst like the Christian world for a long time. And were there some people that wanted to push it in one way or another? I understand. Yeah, it happened. You know, I, I look at Beowulf, for example, there's the, um, there's the pagan Beowulf story. And then there's the Beowulf story when it's Christianized. Now, am I going to say, Oh, we can't don't read the Christianized version because that was, the Catholics attempting to, you know, take over Nordic culture and all that other stuff. Like that, that, there's an argument there. I read both and I'm like, I think the Christianized version is better. It, it's just one of those things. But you see, even with that, it, it goes down to like, what, what, what do we hold and, and what, and what really defines us? Because I think what, what's going to happen now, and maybe this has been going on for decades and I, I just, I'm at the point now where I just kind of realize it. It's like, I think you're going to see a large portion of people go towards more 
you know, I'm not going to say stricter churches, but more formal religious organizations because they, they want to just be told that this is it. And it's been like this since forever. And we're not going to question it because they, they just want to feel like there's safety in some absolute answer. And I know people who have become Mormons over the past couple of years. And I almost feel like, you know, if it wasn't the Mormon friends that invited them to a Mormon temple, how would it have been if it were a Catholic friend who had done that? Or maybe a Jewish friend who had done that or a Muslim friend. Like, I wonder if it was necessarily that they found just, you know, a lot of theology and a lot of religious community that they just really happen to jive with. Or if it was just a matter of they're at a point in their life where they just want to feel that they're part of something that's that's been around for a while and is solid. There's a boy. You opened up so many good points here. I barely even know where to start. I don't you, have to shit anymore. So I, uh, I you have my undivided. <laughs> you have my undivided attention. Fantastic. Um, there's a lot of stories. I'm glad you opened up with the Arthurian legends that have uh, multiple meanings. You look at something, and probably one of the most famous versions we have of like the Knights of the Round Table story is the Once and Future King, and that's a book just kind of purely about fatalism. The Arthur, the off, the Arthur, the author took the story of <laughs> Arthur <laughs> and. And, uh, and and made it so that that kind of fit their values. You look at this with mythology all the time. Everybody's got their own version of like Prometheus or, um, you know, Zeus and Hera and uh, Persephone and, and some of these examples. And there's so many different stories about these. And you can take a story and tell it in a certain way and make it your own. Mm-hmm. And this was so big. I mean, when the Greeks and they were some of the first to explore kind of deep, heavy psychology, and they would often use these mythological ways to explain it. Um that there that and and like you said, you still have a preferred version, right? Like you find that you read the Christianized version of Beowulf and you're like, this rings true to me, this other one does not. And I think that it's it's okay to do that because what we do is we take these examples um, of these mythologies and we say, like, well, does everybody really want to like was everybody really were all the Greeks? Uh, I'll take the story of Medusa, right? One of the earliest versions that we have is that Medusa is kind of a symbol for a woman's vagina. And the sword is like your wiener. And you don't want to look directly at the vagina because it's kind of like gross to you. And there's there's a lot of homoerotic stuff happening within the stories of Medusa. And, and this was written intentionally this way. Um, but like, do does that really strike me that like, vaginas are so gross and being gay is awesome, but you feel the need, like there's like a quest to do that. That doesn't really strike me as true. If anything, I am compelled to bang women. And I really wish that I could be in a gay relationship instead because women tend to drive me nuts, you know, like, (laughs) 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 right. Like, but, um, and and so, you know, when I hear that story of Medusa, it doesn't necessarily ring true. Now for the author, it it probably did, right? And so, like, it's good to have their kind of insight when they do these things. But when we talk about faith, and one of the things that I find fascinating about the Bible is God very rarely was like, hey, is somebody writing this down? By the way, I just want to make sure. And we have four different versions of Christ's time here on earth, and all four versions of the Easter story are critically different in kind of important ways, right? Like, in ways that How would they, you say they're critically different? So, the timing specifically uh, is that like when did the ladies visit the tomb were they told first 
um, that they visit? When did the angel come to them? And there are, you know, if you look up the four gospels and the differences in the Easter story, there are some direct contradictions there. Now, why do we have those contradictions? Well, frankly, John wasn't there. He wasn't hiding. And he was kind of our first person guy. And the other three who were kind of on a type of commission, um, were well that the death of Jesus is the end of their story, right? They were if you're a journalist and you're supposed to write, uh, you know, and you're there and you're writing about a war and the war is over, you go home, you know. And so when Jesus is dead, they're kind of like, okay, well, I'm I'm not here at the tomb anymore. So we don't have this great like what happened at the tomb. I believe in the re- resurrection 100. Um, as far as which author's version got it exactly right. They both were, they, all four of them were kind of trying to work together. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those situations where, you know, when when it comes to the gospels and when it comes towards, you know, the the death and resurrection of Christ, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's always important that people understand that those were accounts and just like any eyewitness account, you're going to remember certain things and you might even remember it a different way. It doesn't make it not true. It just means that it's not always factually a hundred percent accurate. And that's why, like those four gospels, are are canon in, in terms of you know the the Bible itself. And it's like you know people try and and you're not doing this, but I'm speaking broadly. It's like people sure. try and look at those differences and they try and use that as a way to discredit it. Right. And it's like, well, you know, if you were if you were a police officer investigating something, um, you know, and and all of them basically say he was killed in the dining room using the lead pipe. But one guy says it was in the afternoon. One guy says it was in the morning. And one guy says he was hitting the head of the lead pipe. And the other guy said what killed him was the impact. That part's not going to make him not dead. Right. A pipe was used to kill him in the dining room at some part during the day. And he's dead. Some of the most impactful stories that I find that confirmed the biblical account to me mm-hmm. is the depiction of the enemies of Christ is when they say like, yeah, he resurrected some dead bodies. I freaking, I'm, I, it must be devils. I hate it when he does this kind of thing. Um, tons of accounts from historians when Christ died and they talk about like dead uh, prophets and holy people walking the land, tons of accounts from that all over the world, right? Like, man, that's why when, when people get mad at me, because I say I have evidence of like ghosts and shit like that, they're like, that's not real. And I'm like, really? You say that you believe a dude was strung up on a cross dead and he came back to life and all this other stuff happened. But what I have is not good enough. Okay. That's a whole other thing, but it's one of those things where it's like, they try and divorce the supernatural elements. And it's like, no, that you, you either get it or you don't. Yeah. And, and there's, um, and so I think if you take all those those ideas and you kind of put them together, you get a sense of what of what happened. Now, sometimes Christians do, especially when we profess that the Bible itself is the word of God. The trouble is we actually mess that up several times because there's time when God looks at his like laws that were preached in the Old Testament and then goes, why are you practicing this? And they're like, well, the, the Levites told us. And he's like, that's, that's not, that's not law. I don't know why you're doing that. That's dumb. And so you're like, okay, well then I have, I have part here where the Levites wrote in the Bible that I should do this. And then God saying that it's dumb to do this. So as far as it being the word of God, I don't think that's necessarily completely untrue, but we do have to take into account, like when somebody prefaces something, who's saying it, why are they saying it? 
did God plan on having this imperfect thing in later or here now so that later he could come along and be like, see what happens when you act on these imperfect things. Um, Paul, and you talked about women in the clergy, prefaces that whole thing by saying, hey, this is just my opinion, by the way. You know, and it's weird. So it's like if I have Paul's opinion stuck in here but I'm reading the word of God, then what is it? Is it God's law because it managed to survive and Paul managed to put it in his epistles and so that's there? Or did he intentionally leave in the fact that he's like, I'm going to allow Paul to keep his opinion in my Bible, which is the word of God? I would would lean on, yeah, I mean, I I would, I I disagree with you on, on half of that, but the other half I understand. And when it comes to like, you know, when people are like, well, it's either all God or not God. I still believe it's all God. I believe that if he didn't want it in there, it, it wouldn't be in there, but it's also one of those things where it's like, you know, it's let's look at it. It's a history book. It's a book of poems and songs. It's a book of gospel accounts. And that's a book of letters. And it's all put in this in the singular canonical bibliotheca. That's where we get Bible from. And, you know, I think where a lot of people, you know, when, when they're going into like a New Testament survey or an Old Testament survey is that you need to understand the, the political and cultural climate. You need to understand what was going through their minds and what was correct and incorrect in order to understand the context of everything else. So that's when they go into like, you know, a- after Exodus and when you're getting into like, you know, how to be a proper Jew and everything, you know, it's like that had to be in there. So that way, when you're reading like Galatians and stuff like that, and Paul is saying, you don't first need to become Jewish to be a Christian. That's not suddenly saying, oh, none of that stuff matters. You don't have to worry about it. You have to understand the context to understand the end of that. And everything is a providing of context. So that way you see the evolution in that. And when it comes to that, it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe some stuff is an opinion, maybe it's not, but it was all, it was all important for us to understand and maybe even have some of those discussions. Now, I think, and this was the one thing where it was like, this was where me and my Mormon friends really did disconnect. So this was like, okay, I think this is where we found the schism point. When, when they say like the Bible has been corrupted and that there have been so many translations and stuff like that, that's what the problem is. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, like there are some versions of the Bible that were published later where it's like everyone kind of looks at that. And we're like, he took a word and he completely switched it. And that's, that's not, that's not, that's not cool, man. But this idea of it being updated to, you know, be understood throughout the times, that was never an issue. Um, That's not necessarily the same because whether you go from like, you know, Hebrew text to Aramaic to hunt, you know, thousands of years and King James Bible to now, you know, new international or Christian standard version, even though the words might not be exact, they still carry the same meaning. It's still the same story. It's still the same purpose. And, and with, you know, with, with Mormon specifically, like I I've, I've, I've read the book of Mormon. I have one on my bookshelf. I've looked through it. And there are some parts where, as I looked at it, I'm like, this isn't just a different word or a different, you know, understanding of context. This is, this is completely different. It's, I do, I do not like, uh, when people say, oh, the Bible's been translated so many times, who knows anymore, that like incites laziness. And I hate that. Because, because it's not it, factually true. 
Well, well, and what it does is it makes people say, okay, so I don't, I shouldn't care about the Bible. As you want to go on for like an extra 20 minutes. Are you cool with that? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, cool. Just making sure. As opposed to a challenge, right? Which says like, okay, I don't know if these words are exactly right. Let's examine history. Let's do the work. I use an interlinear linear Bible because it has the most ancient versions that we can find along with the English version on it as well. And so I like this because what I can do is I can compare the words. I can look at the ancient versions that we have. The interlinear Bible is constantly updated. It's got all that great Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek in there that, that we can find, um, you know, and of course, there's not original copies of everything. We don't have, I don't have Samuel's fingerprints all over Exodus or anything. But, you know, we can find these ancient versions and see how it changed. I get no amount, uh, no, I get no small amount of joy that the Catholic Church's most evil doings were undone by the book that the Catholic Church preserved because they preserved it too well. They could have very easily just been like, you know what? This makes us look terrible. When, the, when when Luther's looking at the theses, he could just be, they could be like, let's get rid of it. Let's change it. Let's do it. But they weren't able to do so. Not only did they not do it, uh, this is another misconception that like the Catholic Church had complete power over the Bible for a while. Thomas was commissioned to go to India. That's like the most ancient versions of Christian, like churches of Christianity that still pre- exist to this day are actually in India. Mm-hmm. And they had versions of these scriptures as well. And so like the, these, the idea that they could change it to whatever they want to as though they had some monopolistic power over it is inaccurate. And the other thing is, as I said earlier, we have witnesses that can confirm many of these I feel so bad for Thomas, not, not to, not, not, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's like, not only is he remembered as like doubting Thomas, but also when he went to India, he was speared to death. Yeah. It's like, man, he got such a raw deal. I mean, they all got a raw deal, but he really got a raw deal. (laughs) Well, I mean, John was the only one not martyred. And yeah, unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, uh, Thomas, yeah, had to move and get martyred. At least the others got to die at home, right? Didn't they throw James (laughs) off the temple? You know, there's um, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus's own brother gets tossed off. And it's like, well, that's that's hardcore. Right. (laughs) Right. Peter getting crucified upside down. And like, yeah, there's there's. These are rough examples, right? But this is yeah. this is this also goes to show like these people how fervently they believed in this word and this and and in the scriptures and and even if not the scriptures, just and they believed in the message of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that that for me, the culture that Christ lived is something that is we can argue about small theaturgical stuff all day and just, Mm -hmm. and just debate about whether this is right or that is right. But the funny thing is that's not what Christ did when he came to the earth. He wasn't like, let's hash out these little things. In fact, when there were these little things, the Pharisees came up to him. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible is they're like, okay, well, we're, we're supposed to walk to, to the synagogue every day and not deviate. He's like, okay, yeah. And he's like, but we're also, but my animal is dying. So do I just let my animal die? And he's like, no, that's, this is common sense, right? Like this is your conscience. If the law is telling you to do something that your conscience does not like, you do what your conscience tells you to do, you know? And and I really love that story because that so emanates with all of what Christ did was he wasn't sitting around worried about the laws, even though he was a master of the law. 
He was great at explaining them to the Pharisees. In fact, the way kind of Jesus came on the map was by schooling the Pharisees when he was a little kid at their own at their own temple, right? And be like, let me tell you about like some of these stories. But what it was is he was like, why do we have the laws? Why did why what is all this leading up to? What is all this? And it was this this sense of love and conscience that really we kind of we see a bits of it in the Old Testament with Joshua, Hosea, um, Ezekiel. There's certain moments where where God kind of blatantly is like, stop with all this. Like I did the right ritual and I'm getting to heaven. This is purely based on your heart. Right. But it finally came to a culmination at that point. And, And the culture that he taught and the way he did it. It was just so incredible. And it's sad. We live in the social media age right now where we thrive on outrage and canceling and demand and and just this anger and gotchas, right? We don't even attempt to change people's minds anymore. We just want recognition from our side. We want to like give them nucks when we get back and be like, oh yeah, like we totally own those guys. They suck. And really this was a this was a man who said Zacchaeus, tax collector, one of the most regarded as one of the most evil people not only by Jewish law, but by everybody, right? Like, and, and, and even the Jews didn't like it. And he said like, no man, let's hang out with that person because it is not, and this is so important. It is not good that cannot exist in the presence of evil. This even goes back to your ghost story. It is evil that can't exist in the presence of good. And that is such a critical delineation because so many times Christians, and especially the ones you were talking about, they come across like their faith is so easily shattered by if you try to commune with a ghost or there's somebody dressed up like a witch on Halloween that all of a sudden your faith is shattered because, oh no, like it's it's evil. Ah, get out of here. No, evil leaves when good enters, right? And so yeah. when, when he was at Zacchaeus's house, Zacchaeus, he didn't even he didn't even condemn Zacchaeus for his tax collecting. He just showed him goodness. And what happened to Zacchaeus is evil, the tax collecting part of himself. He says, I need to fix this and I need to restore this to, to the people that I took it from. I need, need to repay them. I, and Christ never once tells him that he needs to repent and change his ways or to even reimburse the tax money. That's a decision that he comes to on his own after meeting and talking to Christ and experiencing that culture with his, with his disciples. And it's just, it's something that for me, it's a culture that's missing nowadays that I think we need to get back into. Yeah. And I think one reason why I've always really loved like the Arthurian legends and stuff. And, you know, there, there's the whole debate. I, and I could go, you know, I might as well do a whole episode about this later. Like I, I, I watched a destination, no, an exploration, an expedition unknown uh, on travel channel where they try to decide like, is Arthur real or not? And I find that less to be the important thing because there are really good cases that he was absolutely not real. And there's also, you know, a good case for him that he was real. I think that's the less important thing because I see Arthur is almost kind of like, Superman in the case because like they're all different versions of a same yes. canonical person. Like yes. with with Arthur, I always saw him as like a King David. And you know, when yeah. we look at all the most perfect people, God literally said, "David is a man after my own heart." Yep. And then we look at him, and he's like, you know, he's like a politician. He fucked up all the time, and but you know, like he he had this sense of of bravery and. He, he truly understood when he did something wrong. He might still do something wrong, but it's like that repentance and everything else that came after that, like he accepted it. Like when his, when his child is taken away and, you know, he eventually has a kid later, but it's like, no, this, this is going to happen. And he doesn't like scream at God. He doesn't lash out God. He accepts his fate in that sense. 
And, and that's what goes into like the, the, the chivalric order of the knights and everything else in Arthurian legends. That's why, you know, King Arthur is the king of kings in, in Britannia and stuff like that. And, and I think, you know, I, I, for, for the most part, I don't think I, I have a millionaire friend who lives in a in a cabin in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. If you if you met him, you would think this guy's a fucking bum, but he's a millionaire hermit. I kid you not. And I went to go see him. We were in the army together. I went to go see him uh, before I moved to Wisconsin. We hung out and did redneck debauchery shit. It was a lot of fun. But like, you know, like all good conversations amongst bros, we ended up on like a, a uh, uh, a religious the- theological discussion. And he was talking to me about this conversation he had with his girlfriend who's who's really trying to like get the right theology, the right everything. And he's like, listen, I don't think God's going to give me a theology test. I don't think I need 90% to pass. And if I get 89, I'm, I'm going to hell. I think if you understand the basics of it and, you know, ultimately he's going to look at you and he's going to be like, did you know me? Did you, did, did you pursue me? Did, did you proclaim my name and did you live a good life? I think that's where it's ultimately going to come down. So, I mean, that's why, like, you know, some of my more evangelical friends, when, when I talk about like the Lord's Supper and stuff like that, like they want to get into an argument with me. And I think where they always fail is that they, they need to prove me wrong that it's just, in many cases, a cracker and grape juice. It's like, even if it is, though, you shouldn't just treat it like it's nothing. Because like, I take a very literal view of it. Like, you know, when God made the earth, he spoke it into existence and it happened. When, when Christ was at the last supper, he said, this is my blood. This is my body. I I take it as he is, it is him now. So it's like, yeah, we do that in remembrance of him, but it is what it is. We should treat it very, very, very special in that sense. So, you know, when we try and take that away from it, it's like, listen, I don't need to convince you that that has literally become someone's flesh and that you are literally drinking blood, but it should be respected as is. And when we begin to lose that importance, that's where I think, you know, going back to it's like, if we don't agree to at least accept the mystery of it, that's where a lot of things are going to just go downhill. Because if you just, you know, if you just toss the crackers down, you know, wipe your mouth and stuff like that. If you just, you have the giant stack of little grape juice containers in the trash can and stuff like that's not, I I would not see that as respectful. Like, yeah, it's communion, but is it though? Because you just said, it's just, it's just an act. Well, there are plenty of things that are just acts, but it was meant to be more. And whether you're going to believe that it is or not, we should at least treat it the same. But that's one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to die on that hill for someone. Right. Yeah. The, the, I, I like what you said about it not being a written test because it's, it's, we have so many examples in the scriptures. And like I said, it's hard for us to make sense of them if we try to apply a single rule on who gets into heaven and hell. There are three times the apostles ask Jesus how, like, hey, because believe it or not, this was important to them too. They wanted to make sure they were going to heaven, right? So they're like, hey, how does this, how does this happen? And all three times he mentions forgiving somebody else or being non-judgmental against other people, um, you know, and, and being like a good neighbor. Right. And so these are in no instance is he like, oh, well, make sure you do this X and Y, make sure you believe in X, Y, and Z, make sure you do, you know, like these hard line things. It's really just a matter. It's like he also whipped the money changers. Oh yeah. 
Well, there's plenty of judgment in that scene. <laughs> get, it's uh, and this goes to the libertarian to me, where it's like, do what you want in your own house, but don't you can't do what you want <laughs> in, in God's house. You know, like you you on my turf now. I, I'm I'm all about peace and love, but if you come into my house looking to do some damage, you're looking to steal something. Um, Remember, this is David's great 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 grandson. He gonna whip your ass. <laughs> <laughs> David David's a great libertarian example because he is a man uh, like none other who is after God's own heart and still got corrupted by politics. So <laughs> that should that should tell you are we ever going to get the perfect politician? Probably not, right? So <laughs> That's why do we keep searching for it? Um uh, you know, but but these this 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 love and this like non-judgmental and this forgiveness and this goodness, right, is seems to be a far indicator, a better indicator for Christ of who gets to heaven than any other thing that we've tried to manually establish. And that's where like churches get along. And that's why I think where where it gets scary to go back to the Mormon thing for me, where it gets really scary for me with the Mormons, as far as like, are we going to heaven is sometimes they do try to justify it in other ways in terms of earning it. And it is not a, this is not a, how much fruit you provided for me. This is where it was the seed planted. Well, and you know, did, did you love other people? Did you care for them? Did you visit them in prison? Did you, you know, like all these other, the, the, the stuff that Christ actually establishes as far as like getting into heaven is very much service and selflessness. And Mormons tend to be in service, but it is selfishness is I am in this service because I am supposed to, because I value my own soul, not I value other people's souls. And that's really the difference maker with, I find with Christianity that is so critical that you are not in this. It, it ceases to be about yourself and it is more about the service to other people. And that's what really, that's the real indicator. And that's what kind of Christ throws down as, as the gauntlet. And one of those that I think not just Mormons, but many other Christian churches have kind of lost track of there. It's all about feeding this self and this id and this ego and, and, and you, you, you you and what does this mean for you? And I understand that the apostles, I mean, three times I said, approached him and wanted to know like what happens to them. And all three times he's like, what happens to you is based on what happens to others and how you treat other people and that goodness there. And so it's not a checklist. It's this, it, it's really just a characteristical change. It's this remaking it's this new creation, the way they describe it in the Bible, where you broken down and became something different and became something new right? To just change these behaviors in these ways. It doesn't even describe what, what is new about you. There are different jars for different purposes. God's not trying to make everybody into the same jar, right? When he breaks the clay down and you get remade, it's not like everybody's just this perfect little pot. Some, I mean, we need to boil water. We need to boil stews. We need to ha have soup bowls. We need to, we need to have drink containers, right? Like when we talk about the church being the body of Christ, the church is the body, but not everyone, any one person can do what Christ did. That's why you have to work together to make Christ is to make Christ's full effect functional, right? So say like, maybe what part of the body of Christ are you as an individual? Well, maybe I'm really calloused and hard, but I'm tough and I keep going and I'm working and I'll help somebody else who needs help. Okay, well, maybe you're a really good foot, right? Like maybe you're a good foot in the body of Christ. 
That's great. Be a good foot, but then pair with somebody else who's a good eye. Some people are, some Christians are so great at seeing things, visualizing. They have these visions. They have these connections. I don't have those, but that's okay because I can connect with the ones that do. This is why we all have different spiritual gifts. I mean, Christ says right off the bat, I mean, he gives an analogy of it, but we don't have even talents. Not everybody is the same. Right. This is this is Christ was not a socialist when he gave out our different abilities. Some people got the shaft and some people got a lot. And that's just how it was. But what matters is, did we contribute what we were given back into that body of Christ? And I think that that's our challenge for Christians kind of in the modern era and especially a challenge for kind of Mormons, I find right now. Yeah. And I mean, to 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 kind of go back to like, you know, Sir Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, that Mm. tale. Like, you know, that that's that's one of those stories where, you know, like every you know, I, I've been talking about like the hero's journey a lot. And I even talk about this over like the Second Print Comics podcast. Like one of my problems with a lot of modern comic book writers when they've introduced like new characters and stuff is that they've completely foregone the journey for the conclusion. And it's like that that it's not you can't say that someone is on an equal level when they just were always great versus the person that struggles and was molded by decisions and things that, you know, change them to make them a genuine hero by choice. And, you know, with with Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, it follows the hero's journey, except what makes it so tense and what makes it actually more interesting is the fact that he actually fails at everything he does. And, you know, to, to wrap in like the, the, the Christian element to it, like he, he refuses to go to mass. He, he, you know, he drinks and he hangs out with prostitutes and he's a terrible knight. He's not even a good fighter. And when he goes off on his journey, like, yeah, he completes stuff, but you know, like uh, he's not kind to strangers. He can't fight them when, when they decide to mug him. when he meets St. Winifred and he has to go collect her head from the bottom of the lake. He's like, well, what's in it for me? And she's like, why would you even ask that? You're, you're a knight. What, what the fuck is wrong with you, bro? And he's, he, he lies to the Lord and he, you know, he, even though he doesn't sleep with the Lord's lady, like he, he's still not decent in the film. They went a grotesque way with that, but that was, that was funny compared to just the, the original story, but like he, he fails throughout it. So if you're accustomed to all the other knights who went on their hero's journey, who you saw the progression, and then you look at Gawain, you're like, God, this guy fucking sucks. So then when he goes to the Green Knight and he's supposed to get his head cut off because that's what he did to the Green Knight a year ago, you know, that's the moment where it's like, did he learn anything or not? And what he does is that belt that was given to him that had the witches and enchantress that was supposed to save him, you know, he, he tosses it off because at the end of the day, like he could easily run away and go back and tell everyone he killed the Green Knight and he could go on to become king and all this other stuff. But Gawain accepts. It's like, but I will know but I will know. And it doesn't matter that nobody's here to see me. I will know. So in that last moment, that's when the green knight is like, good job. Good night. Because at the end of the day, the whole thing was a test to spoil it for people. Like the whole thing was a test. Like Godwin does not get his head cut off, but even though in the movie, they kind of leave it on a cliffhanger, but like in the story, it's like, it was a test. And even though he failed all those times, he still took something from it. And in the moment where it was just him, he showed integrity. And he genuinely made the change and was willing to die in truth. 
And that's why I think that story, even though like he's not the most noblest of knights, and even though he does have a change later, it's like that's why that Arthurian story I think matters now more than ever before because it's like you know you're gonna get to the point where you're in that moment where nobody else is gonna be able to tell the truth except you, and you either accept it and the full consequences or you don't. Yep. I think that's why a lot of people they they see more of themselves in Gaw in Gawain than they do in Lancelot. Because even though Lancelot went on the journey, Lancelot still had a lot going for him. Gawain didn't. He didn't fight in wars. He didn't slay dragons. He had no story. That's why when he came back to the Knights of the Round Table and they're like, you still have your head. He's like, guys, let me just explain to you what happened. And even though he failed 99% of the time, it was the time when it mattered that they remembered him for. And they called him noble. Yeah. Um, when you quit smoking, it's not something like you put down a cigarette and you're done forever. Even if it's the last cigarette you smoke, there's mental grappling to be done afterwards. One of the best parts about the story of going in the Green Knight is the it's a journey of morality and developing that morality. Oh, we treat morality like you have it or you don't nowadays, right? Like integrity is either like, well, either you got it or you don't. And if you don't, you're a piece of crap, right? Like we look at this with like, racism occasionally where we say either you're a racist or you're not and if you are a racist you're a piece of crap and get out of my sight or if you're not then i love you and you're the best person ever and coddle 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 right and instead it's like there needs to be more stories like that that show the development from a place of saying i'm a i have this problem i smoke i'm a racist i'm a republican whatever it may be to all of a sudden it's like, oh, what's okay. I'm a non-smoker, but we don't, but we want, we want that instant gratification as humans, right? We want to just be able to put down the cigarette because I mean, people love to tell these stories and I, I don't want to crap on these types of stories, but they're generally not helpful. When you say I have, I had my daughter and I never smoked a cigarette again because I just couldn't, or, you know, I, I used to lie a lot and then I saw it hurt somebody's feelings. And then I never once told the lie ever again. That's not really how it works. Right. Especially when we talk about mentally, you're trying to develop when we talk about uh, free wills back in the uh, news nowadays. And, and I'm loving everybody talking about, it. I think it's a fascinating discussion, but when you're developing a new neural pathway, you have to chip away at it. It's not like it's not like it's just going to take because you started on the journey. Your brain is still going to do what it's always done unless you're fighting it every step of the way. And you only have so much energy in your own mind. It's not a matter of personal. People take this as a matter of personal weakness to say, like, I don't know why I, I saw this truth, but I wasn't able to accept it for years or weeks or months or whatever it was. But there it takes energy to craft a new neural pathway. It takes literal energy and you only have so much in a day. So to get from once in, you can see the synapse that you want to go to like a place of goodness and it still takes work to get there. So when we have this moral idea, when we say like, I want to become a good person, when we take the Gawain journey, we want to become better, but we keep having all these pitfalls and all these mistakes. Yeah, that's the journey. That's the human experience. We know of one person in the Bible who was ever perfect and God yeeted him up to the, up to the <laughs> skies, right? Like God doesn't keep you around if you're perfect. If you're done and you have nothing left to refine, it's over. This is all a big journey. And so to treat people with kind of critically and cruelty when they are unable to just immediately become good, that is the wrong way to go about it. You know, like we need to be more, we need to have less people that talk about what morality is, because I think a lot of us know, right? Like you've established your camp of what you find 
find moral, right? I don't need somebody to tell me that most people don't think racism is good, right? But we know, we're aware that most people have this inherent, these inherent biases. That's simply a byproduct of intelligence. So what we need is less people to say, stop being racist, and more people to take you from the journey of what it's like to defeat your own inherent biases, how to overcome them. Even on like, even with some very intellectual people that recognize like racism's a problem, they don't spend enough time to talk about how you overcome your inherent biases. They just try to prove that they exist. Okay, well now what? Now how do I, now that you prove to me that it's very difficult to not be like a racist, even if, and I'm not just talking about white people either. Everybody's racist. Like it's just, it's just the way it is with the patterns, right? And, and against various races, you have preconceived notions to not have a preconceived notion about about looks, you have to have completely have no spatial awareness at all. You you would be. I openly admit that I hate furries. Okay, well, so we need to get you into a good furry place. So how do we no. start? Maybe no. I wear a foxtail. No, I'm no. Just I mean, you get my point. <laughs> yeah, I get my point. point is just we kind of see the morality, but we don't have enough people to take us down the journey. I think Jordan Peterson touches on this a lot um, where it's like, how, like, what is that journey like from getting there? And I think if you don't like Jordan Peterson, I totally get why I find him to be kind of when in regards to history. I mean, I, there- I, I, I only even bring him up because I think he, he's, a, he's associated with it because he just became more recently popular, but you know, like it's, it's Joseph Campbell, it's CS Lewis. Yeah. It's right. um, you, you know, it's uh, who, who it's, it's Tolkien. Like this has been around for, for so long. And, and that's why, you know, like it, it's, it's biblical. It's, it's, it's all of those things. Like a lot of religions have it, like you have it going back yeah. to like Roman mythology, like the journey always mattered. And, and I think that with a lot of people, it's like, you know, if it, the, the, and I say it on the show enough times, but it's like, you know, the destination, yeah, the destination is important, but that shouldn't discount that the journey is just as important. Yes. Right. Awesome. It, it's, uh, I, oh my goodness. And I, I mean, I'm even cool to let this be the last thing I say, but just like <laughs> Frodo, he didn't get the ring and then look to his left and toss it off the mountain. Right. Like people tried that. Right. Gimli took his axe and was like, destroy the ring. Bam. It didn't work. <laughs> right. Like it doesn't work. So like when you have to work, when we talk about working on ourselves, yeah. That takes work. It takes a long time. I think we all know ourselves. And I think if, you, if you're hearing my voice, close your eyes, you think of yourself and you just say like, what are some like problems that I have? You've probably known most of those problems have been there for a while. Well, why don't you just throw them out? Why don't you just delete them right away? It's not like that. It takes work and it takes time and it takes practice and it takes intention and it takes energy. And so we just need to be willing to go through these journeys. I'm, I'm glad you brought up some of those authors because they they do very a very good job describing on like, how here's where you are, here's where you want to be. Let's get you there. You know, uh, it, it's a very lowbrow philosoph- philosophical thing to be like, is it okay to be racist? Is it okay to be like a... a pedophile is it okay to be whatever it may be and it's like well if you know that it's not either you know that it's not or you you think that it is and there's no helping you and you're just like yes it's okay to be all these terrible things then there's no helping you but if you say like well i kind of know that it's not but nobody is willing to help me guide me from one to the other then i'm probably just going to stay where i am because journeys are hard and they require so they take everything out of you 
Mm-hmm. You know, like when, if you've ever had to fight a pornography addiction or a drug addiction, it takes everything out of you and you need to be ready for that. And when people aren't willing to accept that these things take time and effort, you're never going to stop. You're, you won't start the journey to quit pornography if it looks too hard or if there's nobody to help you along the path. And this is, again, comes back to my faith, but this is why Christ was so great. He develops a culture that's like, don't you want to be a part of this? Yeah, let's leave that part of you behind and get to work. You know, I mean, my my very apostles are still denying me till my till the day I die. Like, it's like, I, come on, Peter. Look, I thought yeah, we were this, tight. <laughs> it's hard. If it was hard for Peter, it's hard for you. You know, so like. Let's let's just accept that these things are difficult and that there's work to be done. And I, I think that that's something that our faith can can certainly can certainly help us with. And um, if enough of us believe in it together, we can actually create cultures around this. But Christianity right now, man, disarray. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think that's where a lot of people get lost because it's like everyone thinks they're immediately the hero. And it's like mm-hmm. if you think you're immediately the hero right now. History kind of shows that that's probably not the case because a lot of bad people thought they were the heroes in many circumstances, but it's coming through the struggle. It's allowing yourself to be open to the challenges and to the journey where when you get to the point, you won't think, wow, I'm the hero. You'll be like, wow, I've done something. And oh my gosh, I'm the hero. It's, it's that moment. It's that Gawain moment. It's, you know, it's like that for so many people, but, uh, Cody, we, we got to have a whole episode about like Arthurian legends and shit and nerd out about something yeah. later. Hey, yeah. uh, if people want to go ahead and check out your show and everything else, uh, when does it come on? How could they do so? Uh, we record it various days throughout the week, but it's called Enemy of My Enemy. Um, we have left, right, and center libertarians. We try to have one on every show. Um, if it's a, We talk about current events and major topics, and it's very important to me that we get points of view on every side of a topic. So we just talked about the nuclear bomb the other day and we had somebody who was pro dropping the bomb and people who were against dropping the bomb. And I, I love debate. And I find that every side, even if it doesn't convince us, it adds some validity to the perspective and an ability to understand where they're coming from. And it's something that I was just so passionate about that I created a show uh, based around and it's uh, it's going swimmingly. But yeah, Enemy of My Enemy, search for it. We're on all the major podcast players. Even if you click on it, for two seconds and don't listen to it, I get paid based on your download. So <laughs> like, like just, just click it, see if it's for you. If it's not for you, that's totally cool. Everybody's got their own shtick. Some of the episodes aren't even for me. So, you know, you just, just find, find what you like. Um, but Remzo, thank you so much for having me on, man. I love, I love on the run. You have such fascinating people on here. Um, I'm probably one of the biggest doofuses, but I absolutely, uh, I, I love that you bring an element of fun um, and and discussion that isn't tedious. I guess like a lot of times you finish, you know, do you ever finish like having a debate with somebody and you're like, like you exhale and you're like, okay, I had to go eat and, and smoke. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like debating. I find myself more curious than I am like, you know, confrontational because like people are like, you know, I didn't think I was going to have a good conversation with you because I know your stances on things. And it's like, what I've always found is that I don't want to like, I I feel like if you debate somebody with the intention of immediately changing your mind, then you're going to see like a win at all costs mentality. But I mean, half the time the confusion comes from just a lack of understanding. And if you're right, hopefully the person is honest with themselves enough that they'll change. I, I you know, I apply that to everyone. I apply that to myself. And, and you know, when it comes to this stuff, like, you know, I, I 
I, I, I'm, I'm like, I consider myself a moron in a lot of cases. And it's like, I just want to understand things better. And I understand that, you know, frankly, I think the one thing that I have that a lot of people don't have is that I have very little to no shame and that I'll ask questions and talk about things that other people might not want to say out loud. <laughs> and it's one of those things where, you know, like I, I had my, I, you know, Logan Albright is a, you know, I consider him a, a really good friend and a mentor of mine. And, you know, he's, he's like a, he, he's a freaking like Nordic pagan. And we were having a conversation about like religion wow. and he's like, well, you know, everyone finds their own journey. And he was baiting me to say what a lot of people try and bait Christians to say, which is, am I going to hell? And I was like, Logan, based off what you believe and based off what I believe, you're probably going to hell. But that <laughs> doesn't, bait. yeah. So it's like, well, it's like, you know, it's like if I had said, well, you know, that that's not the case and maybe your truth is true, then he'll come back with, well, you're obviously, you're, you're either incorrect in your own biblical theology or you're, you're lacking your faith. And it was just like, you know, I gotta be honest, but then there's my cop out, which is I, I believe in God so much. I believe in Christ so much. I believe that hopefully I'm a good enough influence that you'll come to these conclusions yourself and that'll save your soul. Yeah. And then he's like, that's such a freaking cop out. And I'm like, I know, but at least I'm being honest about it. Um, Hody, thank you so much. I'm going to link to everything in the show notes today, folks. Hope you enjoyed this conversation, please. It costs nothing for you, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening to the show across Al Gore's amazing internet. It takes you five seconds and helps conversations like these of Hody go even farther. As always, I'm Marcia W. Martinez. Be good, be safe. Good night. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>